and welcome to the Left Field Shout. My name's Joe Greenwood. I hope you're all doing well this week. Uh, this week, this really isn't going to count as a proper episode, I don't think, because um, I haven't been able to actually sit down and watch a couple movies for this podcast, uh, which is a sad state of, of affairs, I think we can all agree on. So this week I'm going to release an old episode, uh, it's from Series Zero of the Left Field Shout, and it was when I had Jack McEnroy on, um, him of South London hardcore fame and uh, of Holdfast Network. Uh, Holdfast Network is the network that I'm on, uh, the Left Field Shout is on, uh, that also do tremendous uh, podcasts such as the Left Field Shout, and, such as the Left Field Shout, such as South London hardcore uh, process and Ford the Hamlet. Um, and he came on, we spoke about Wes Anderson's, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, this is really, it's actually unedited. Um, I'm even going to leave in the bit at the beginning where I talk about how I can't even introduce the show properly, as you can still tell I can't do it that well, even now, after all these hours of practice I've put into it. Uh, so anyway, uh, so next week we'll be back to normal. Um, well, I'll probably talk about Nuri Bilger Jalan. Um, actually, thinking of maybe even just doing a full episode just on him, talking about winter sleep, uh, climates, three monkeys, and once upon a time in Anatolia. Uh, winter sleep is, of course, his new film. Uh, so yes, apologize. Uh, apologies for this. Uh, and I hope you enjoy this. It's, it's actually, a, uh, I think it's a very good episode. And uh, the sound quality is better than last week's. Um, I, uh, I spoke to Charles about it. We don't know where it came from, that noise. Um, so bizarre. Uh, anyway, let's get on with it. And uh, I hope you enjoy this old episode. Sort of digging one out from the archive for you all. Starting these things. Hello uh, and welcome to Leftfield Chow with me. What's your last name again? Greenwood. Greenwood, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I won't say it. John Greenwood, obviously. Yeah. Um, I'll probably do the intro after, like, I'll record. Will you? Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I'll give it a go now. I know it's difficult. First few, we struggled with intros for a long time. Now we don't really. I'm going to put all this into the intro as well. This talking, <laughs> about, talking about stuff. So, as you can hear, hello, and welcome to the Left Field Shout podcast. Um, my name is Joe Greenwood, and I've got Jack McEnroy here me, with, me, with me this week. Hello. How you doing? I'm well, Joe. Thanks for uh, having me on. <laughs> uh, well, people will know me as At Yids. At Yids, of course. Yeah, get your plugs in there. Yeah, and some people will probably listen to my podcast, or will want to after this, I imagine. South London Hardcore. And it's on you? iTunes, southlondonhardcore.com. Good plug-in. <laughs> Thanks, man. And you have T-shirts as well. 
80, yeah, yeah. 80s shirt. I've got one. We've got some Southland Hardcore t shirts, but also I've got one t shirt that says Welbs in Motion, Light World in Motion. And do you still have the We Is Us? Yeah, that's on the Southland Hardcore. SouthlandHardcore.spreadshirt.co.uk. Uh-huh. Sales have dropped drastically since they've been got fired <laughs> a week <laughs> after the t shirt. Yeah, out. I was about to say, yeah. So, what, maybe four or five people wearing it ironically? Like, we sold someone when I put the Worlds in Motion one up. Someone sort of went, "Oh yeah," and how your we as us ones doing? And I'd look, and we'd sold one like in that March. So I think that's a universal appeal, you know. We as us, yeah. I'm, I'm it st- should go beyond AVB, shouldn't it? Whether it, you're thinking of Tottenham or otherwise, we is still us. That could be like, um, it could be like the move, like a name for a movement, mm. or like the logo for like Occupy Wall Street type. Like movement where someone's like out yeah. on like a well, protest. When I first came across it, I, I must have missed the press conference when he originally said it, AVB. Mm. But my friend uh, Tabo, he shared on Facebook. My daughter was in this competition on Facebook to, uh, you remember, yeah. to uh, win £500 of gap vouchers and she won. Oh, and my friend you? Tabo shared it on Facebook and said to vote for uh, Xavier. Mm. And uh, he's blah, blah, blah. And at the end he put, we is us. Like he's a Tottenham fan. Right. But me and Steve thought it was like a black sor- solidarity thing. So, <laughs> Steve was like, put that on a t-shirt. And I was like, okay. And then we, so we made the t-shirt and then realised, I was like, oh, we as us. And then it was coming up everywhere and it was obviously everybody had said it. But yeah. I sort of prefer it as a black power. Yeah, yeah, Solidarity. Yeah. Uh, maybe if he, he actually did like the salute as yeah, well. Yeah, maybe just put it on a t-shirt, like a black fist with like we as us. Yes, underneath. that's it, that's it, yeah. Um, so I, I had you in here today to talk all things Wes Anderson and in particular mm. Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest is his new... New film, came out a month or so ago. Grand uh, Hotel Budapest, if you want to give the full title. Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel. Is that it? Oh, okay. It's Grand Budapest Hotel, sorry. Okay. I got it there. Or is it? It's, uh, I keep seeing... It's Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. GBH. GBH. Um, which is an unfortunate, like, what do you call it when it's just the first letters? Uh, it's an acronym. Acronym, that's an unfortunate acronym for it. But you're pulling it, a face like you're, you're not quite saying. <laughs> no, that. I understand. Grievous oh, oh, okay, right, right. Grievous bodily harm. Uh, and as you can tell from this slightly ropey introduction, I haven't set this up. I haven't planned this too well. Uh, so, Grand Budapest Hotel is set in a hotel, uh, following a bus, a bellboy, and the main, like concierge type guy mm. played by Ray Fiennes. And to even start describing the plot. I think is a foolhardy effort thing to do because yeah, I'm going to get centers gonna, around the will, doesn't it? A bit of a caper. Yeah, this Ray Fiennes uh, character, he's known for romancing his clientele, who are normally eighty-year-old women, mm. and one of them falls in love with him to the point where, when she dies, this woman played by Tilda Swinton, she leaves him a priceless painting called "Boy with Apple," and it's a whole caper where they go to get the painting hide it, and then have to go on the run from her, the deceased woman's son, played by Adrian Brody, trying to retrieve the painting. And for me, I'm going to go straight into this, yeah, I think it's his worst film. Yeah, I agree, my least favourite, yeah. I think it's his worst film, and not because I had the strongest reaction to it, in terms of dislike. I disliked Darjeeling Limited more. But I dislike this one more because I had no reaction to it. Mm. I just watched it and it, everything that happened in it, I was thinking, okay, now this is a thing that's happening. Mm. Uh, whilst, as I was watching Darjeeling Limited, I was watching these characters and I was finding myself going, 
oh, you're so infuriating, why are you doing that? It's because I actually kind of slightly cared about those characters. Unless it was just hollow, I found. Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly on Twitter, uh, at the piss off general oh, yeah. follower. Um, yeah, it was neither funny nor dramatic. And that's trouble. That's uh, trouble for a film. You know, yeah. the, you don't. You're not invested in the. Well, I say you're not because people loved it, but you know, you and I were not invested in the characters. Yeah, that was the thing. I am the lone dissenting voice. I found even someone that we know uh, at uh, Tristan Cross at Perez Shilton even said to me, like, "I've turned around on it. And I actually like it now." And uh, so I really am on my own with this, <laughs> and it is a. Loved film. It has, I think, it won something at the Berlin Film Festival as well. But it was, it, it felt like, not like Wes Anderson light, but too much. Wes, Wes Anderson heavy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I really love the dodgy limited, which maybe we'll come to. Uh, you can go. Later. You can go into it now if you want. Um, yeah. Well, with well, on the line of what you're saying about Wes Anderson light, I, you know, people talk. Someone was saying on Twitter, your mate uh, Mike McGrath. Matt McGrath, yeah. Matt McGrath, sorry. Um, about everything after Royal Tenenbaums being a Wes Anderson film in inverted commas. Yeah. Which, I mean, as if the first two aren't. For me, <laughs> yes. the, the, the kind of separation for me sort of comes after the, the Darjeeling Limited. And what I think the change is, is that those films up to the Darjeeling Limited, so it's Bottle Rocket, Royal Tenenbaums. Rushmore. Rushmore, which I've skipped, yep. Uh, Life of Quiet with Steve Zissou, then the Darjeeling Limited. Oh, is uh, it Darjeeling? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And then you've got uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, and uh, the Grand, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. And those first five films, I think there's sort of an element of the real world in it. They're kind of in the, you know, it's, Royal Tenenbaums is in New York. You know, some of them have got Bill Murray in, and he's a kind of bit of a loose cannon, not mm. not someone that is like a Wes Anderson puppet. No. Whereas Fantastic Mr. Fox is we- a, like filming a Wes Ander- Anderson diorama, isn't it? It's like Wes Anderson puppet show. And I think Moonrise Kingdom is a bit as well. Like it's it's more stylized than uh, some of the other stuff. I mean, maybe that's wrong to say because Royal Tenenbaums is heavily stylized, but there's no real world element in it. And I felt the same about Grand Budapest. I tell you, even the effects become more kind of the stop motion effects. Yeah, in there. There, there, there are moments in it where he goes into animation, in particular a chase involving a ski chase, mm. where they're on a toboggan and another guy's on a ski, on skis. And it's a it's a really impressive sequence, but because these characters are just so hollow and empty, and you're told to like them basically, even though they do nothing remotely to invest you in them, it's a, it's. It's not, it's not dramatic, it's not, there's no tension there. Um, and then there's a moment where, I'm going to slightly spoil it, they are hanging off a cliff at one point. I didn't yeah, feel anything. I, 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 I wasn't bothered in the slightest. Yeah. Like, when I'm normally watching a film with characters, that, not even that I like, that I'm interested in, there's that tension you have in your stomach of just, okay, are they going to get through this because there's still an hour left of this film and... With this, if they fell off the cliff, I wouldn't, wouldn't have cared. Yeah. yeah, they all felt a bit like, you know... It's that puppet. Puppets, yeah. You know, like... And obviously, it's fantastic, Mr. Fox. They literally are figures. Yeah. That Wes Anderson is moving around. I mean, obviously, he's not literally moving around. But do you know what I mean? That he's created every... In the animation, you put everything that's in the frame. You mm. put it there. And it seems to me that he's kind of taken that. And I'd like to say... I mean, the Darjeeling Limited, I, I liked the characters... It's not just... I mean, they're, all of his films look beautiful. 
but I don't know something about the aesthetics just got to it me was. personally. It was. He had. Um... I thought it was funny. I thought the the, the opening uh, short film with um, Natalie Portman and uh, I think Jason Schwartzman was so good. I, I want to watch him in everything. Yeah. And I thought Adrian Brody as well in uh, Darjeeling Limited was was like a bit like Bill Murray, where he's just like. He he's not like a, a he's not a puppet. He's he brings something kind of earthy to he, it. He, he did um, Adrian Brody in that film, much like Bill Murray in all his all of his films. He does that thing where he makes everyone else better. Like that's his whole thing. He wants everyone else to be to come up, and that makes him look great in his mm. films. And he's in that film. He's immensely watchable, Adrian Brody, in the way that, as you say, Bill Murray is. Um, but going back to that uh, thing of these characters in a diorama. Of, of Wes Anderson, it was that feeling that I had of he's done, he's made this film purely so that he can create this made-up country and have yeah. this purple hotel up on a mountain where he, you have to get up onto that lift that was going up the side of the mountain, mm. and it was just—I keep saying it's hollow and empty, but it really yeah, is. It it, is. It, it I mean, I know this is so obvious. This is like. Uh, film criticism 101 but you know designing uh, you know uniforms and uh, mm. you know uh, furnishings and stuff mm. it re it can add to something tremendously but if that is the point of it that it can't be the focus can it it needs to embell it needs to be like the embellishment you know it's the icing it's not the cake yeah that, that's that's exactly it. it's that um, there's that story the, um, of Derek Sion France who made The Place Beyond the Pines and Blue Valentine, he made those were his second and third films. But he made a film called Brothers Tide in the nineties, and you know he didn't make a film for twelve years because of that film. It just wasn't very good. Uh, and it's he was it was in black and white, and apparently it had more cuts in it than The Wild Bunch. And it's like it's like an eighty minute movie, and it's mm. there's loads of slow motion. And he showed it to his professor uh, back at film school, and the only thing his professor said afterwards was um, form illuminates content and with this it is definitely the case of content illuminating form because Wes Anderson is that thing of okay now we got the bit in the hotel where we're sort of moving around and we're seeing like the upstairs downstairs elements of it mm -hmm. we're seeing the servants and we're seeing him who's this between between uh between like the staff and the clientele um and then you have the chase sequences and then you have the the prison sequences mm -hmm. It was just—it was him just kind of t ticking things off his wish list. I felt, um, but uh, and getting back on that about his visual style, the visual syntax of his films, it's definitely a crutch. I feel. Yeah. It's and I think it's at first it was a it was something cool. To, it was something cool when you first saw it. The first film I saw of his was Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, when, same I, man. when I first saw it, it was. You know, that was amazing. <laughs> you saw mm. it. I mean, even when you see it now, I think it's still incredible. Yeah. It's still a beautiful film. It's beautifully composed. Uh, but it's gotten to the point now where it is all icing, as you referred to earlier. And really, maybe the next thing he should do is totally remove that from his, from his pocket. Yeah, I would like to see him do something more stripped down. Like the, you know, I know you don't like the touchy limit. But I, I don't know, for some reason it just really hit the spot with me. And I went to see it twice at the cinema. Oh, really? I mean, my friend worked there, so I did get it twi three twice. <laughs> and then, like, when at my wedding, we had, like... Because we don't have a massive amount of common interest with Lakeisha, my wife. 
but we uh we both love the Dajin Unlimited and we ended up exiting the church. No, it wasn't a church, sorry. We specifically got married in a non-religious... Oh, OK. <laughs> um, but, you know, to the, you know the song at the end of the film? Oh, Champs-Élysées. We kind of exited the church now. So it's got a special place in my heart, man. Uh, and, I, and I'd like to see him do something. Like, even if you don't like the film, the mm. fact that it is... Obviously, the set design is all very much Wes Anderson. But so much of it isn't. Like, so much of the... It is just like they're in India, I mm. think. You know, at, but and as well, there's not a load of titles on the screen, and there's not a load of like cuts to chapter. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit. I mean, Tarantino, I think, comes into the same category. I, mean, I love Tarantino at his best, but there are times when you think you could have. It, it would have made the film would have been no worse off if you'd have taken all those titles out of it. Mm. And well, the thing with Tarantino is, if you took out thirty percent of those monologues. I could have left the cinema half an hour ago. It's yeah. It, Kill Bill didn't need to be two films, did it? It barely needed to be one, in my mm-hmm. in my opinion. I, I I don't like those films. I quite I think there was I would have it was a film I would have enjoyed very much if it was one film. But yeah, if there were bits in it that were that were great, um, and to I'll continue with the Tarantino thing. Um, if you compare his last two, Inglorious Bastards, where you have those long monologues in them, but. I think they were so perfectly worded that no, I didn't feel any lag in them. And it actually kind of revved up very well, those monologues, whereas Django Unchained, there's one monologue or like dialogue sequence, I think around a table with Leonardo DiCaprio and he starts talking about a skull. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. It's like, let's wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, I, like, I, mean, I found that scene quite unpleasant to watch. It was deeply unpleasant. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I mean, obviously. And he, but he, yeah, he does drag it out a bit. You think you just feel like with these people, if they don't rein in, if they don't like, you know, well, the thing is, Wes Anderson has collaborators, so maybe there's more hope for him. With Tarantino, you, I just wish he would, uh, yeah, rein it in a bit. Yeah, maybe if he, I like mean, you say, strip it down and let's see what you can do as a writer without not obviously not with removing filmmaking completely. That's not what I mean, but. You know, remove the style and let's see what the content is with like kind of a minimal amount of. Uh... That, that was the thing his, with his next film. What was going to be his next film? The script got leaked online, yeah. and I actually read the script, and it's just three massive dialogue scenes essentially. Right. And even as I was reading it, I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Like I was already tired watch reading it. Mm. I couldn't even imagine what they're doing it. a live reading, aren't they in LA? Yeah, got like two hundred dollar tickets to, really? to see it. So. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, even in Glorious Bastards, which I do like, I like it a lot. But when I heard that Tarantino was doing a kind of war, you know, World War Two sort of adventure caper sort of film, you could already see I was, the side. Well, I was imagining something that I would enjoy more. There were just those. There were scenes that just go on forever. And I know you say, I know they are. They're all well done, and yeah. none of it. It's not like I want to cut any of it out particularly. But I'll, you know, it would have been nice if it had maybe condensed things down. I don't want to watch a play on screen. That's oh, that's something that I really want because I hate. There's a film that everyone loves. Uh, Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Everyone loves that film. I cannot stand it because it's filmed theatre, basically. It is, but I did like it. But I uh, know I was like, <laughs> oh, the performances are great, but it's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. Mm. And that's what I found with Polanski as well with that last film we did, Carnage. Did you see that? I've not seen much well, of his stuff really. It was a it was a play, basically. It was a play, yeah. and it's just been lifted up onto screen. And kind of like Wes Anderson, his films are very stagey. And as I, I've made a note down here, he's more interested in making a complete world yeah, than right. a storyline. 
like with Fantastic Mr. Fox, you get the feeling that, you know, you're seeing inside their, their burrow, basically, their hole. You've got a feeling that he knows the next ten down what's in their mm. burrows, what's happening in their, in their world. But it's all in aid of nothing, I always, I always find. Mm. Um, and, I always, I, I, and sometimes with, like, the best films, I always find that there's, you get that feeling of, oh, is this, like, improvised a right. little bit? Like you get the feeling that some of the lines that it's saying is off the cuff, whilst with Wes Anderson it's very, this leads into this, into this, into this, and you can feel his writing. Yeah, and right. more, and like I was saying, if you take the last three films together, like there's not a moment that's improvised in the, in a lot of them, is there? No, but I will say this, I think I hinted at it before, is that Moonrise Kingdom is my favourite film of his. Oh really, right. Yeah, you rewatched it. Uh, yeah, I, was watch- I watched it at the cinema, which was I guess, what, two or three years ago? Two years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And then I watched it again last night, and it did feel a bit like uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, where I mean it was funnier, so the jokes landed. When they put the thing is, there ain't really that many actual jokes in uh, Grand Budapest, is there? In Grand Budapest, there's no. not things you're not even meant to laugh. Well, you're meant to laugh, but they're not. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not their actual jokes. Whereas it is, fu- it's funny, it, and it, I do care about the characters in Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, you're did. saying there's no jokes in Moonrise Kingdom? Or... No, I'm saying that Moonrise Kingdom is funnier, but okay. there's also actually more attempts to actually make you laugh, yeah. rather than just like you looking at something quirky. Yeah. Um, but no, um, yeah, Moonrise Kingdom, where was that? Yeah, I found it, um, a, you know, the fact that it was so heavily staged, I, di- I don't know, I found that some of it a bit tedious. Like all the bits with Bob Balaban. I think Bob Balaban's great. And the, sh- the shots look beautiful, you know. It's certain 16 mil by the look of it, your favourite film stock. It is my favourite film stock. <laughs> I, actually he, got, I actually got a question sent in about that, which I'll get into later. Excellent. And he's wearing a red duffel coat, and that's great, but I didn't, I would have, I didn't really get anything out of it. You know, with him talking to the cameras, talking about these, these uh, um, made up I, islands. Yeah, I think that all it that. It just felt like kind of froth. It was, it was exposition for the sake of exposition, I felt. And it was ex, exposi- expository. Exposition, is that, is that the right word I'm looking for? Um, you know what, it's dialogue. Yeah, I mean, there, there is some exposition in there, yeah. He tells you, he moves the plot forward. Yeah, he? he moves the plot forward, but it was plot that you could have had Bruce Willis's character say. You could, yeah. And it felt, and honestly, I was, when I was thinking back on it, I was thinking, fucking hell, it must have been an absolute arse to film that for the sake of his whimsy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's cut, 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 cut. You know, he don't just talk to the camera, he goes, and then, this, then he's got these lovely trees cut, and he's got this cut. Yeah. Yeah, and um, but the reason why that was my favourite film was that um, it was it hit me in a very strong way, um, purely on a thematic level of that sort of young love feel. feel I'm, that, I'm a real sucker for those types of young love type films, films about kids, basically stuff like you know, Four Hundred Blows, that True Fire yeah. series where you see him grow up. Yeah, yeah. I, that it, that's that was one of the reasons why I liked it so much. And also, it wasn't very much that Wes Anderson complete world, but it was actually a world that I was interested in as well. Yeah. Like that, you know, that, a real interesting sort of class mix there, very subtle mm-hmm. class mix. You've got Bill Murray and um, Francis McDormand, who are doctors. Oh, no, they're lawyers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you have Bruce Willis, who's like that sort of... Um, he's a police officer, and he's having an affair with Francis McDormand. And yeah, he's so an openly so, simple man. Yeah, that's what they said. Like he's a simple man, and she's like, yeah, you know. And you could actually feel that their interaction was real, yeah. whereas the class system in Grand Budapest was 
it was very distracting and distancing, I found. Like, this whole film, I've, I've felt like it's been held at, at an arm's length mm. uh, with Grand Budapest. Um, his films are also... They're very twee. Yeah, that's fine, I think. Do you think? Yeah. I think he's... I think he's stuck, basically, with twee. I think, right. he, I think he created twee in, in television and film, in, in this style. You know, he had twee before, like... Some would say Woody Allen was a bit twee. But um, I think he's... I think he's kind of got himself stuck in this twee element. Yeah, I just... I mean, people will, you know... They, uh, people have gone over making the same thing over and over again. And up to a certain point, I was like, no, just keep doing that. Well, there were people that wished that uh, Life Aquatic didn't exist. Like, what kind of world do they want to live in? You know, they're like, well, you know, I, 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 how would you want to dismiss that? I disliked it the first time I saw it, and then I rewatched it again. I got to see it at the cinema late, late last year. Oh, excellent. On 35mm. Uh, and it was, it was, you know, it went a lot up in my estimation. Like, I love it. I'm, first off, because it's Bill Murray in a leading role, mm. which he doesn't get that much now, and he's just—it it was so good. I thought that was—it had all the elements that you sort of disliked about Moonrise Kingdom, kind of pushed into one, in, right. into a more. I can see what, what your dislike of Moonrise right, Kingdom. Right? Yeah. Is. I mean, Moonrise Kingdom. Maybe they were in every. It was in every scene. Whereas in, do you know what I mean? Every scene was kind of filled with the kind of style. I don't know where I'm going with this. Whereas with uh, Darjeeling, uh, uh, with um, Life Aquatic, you know, you've got these cross-sections of the boat, but then there's, I don't know, it felt like there were long patches where there's not that. Do you know what I mean? He's fighting pirates. Yeah. Or he's having a chat, or he's having that kind of a the thing with Jeff Goldblum or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was... It you was know, also... he dipped in and out of it. I'm going to do a bit of Wes Anderson stuff now. Now we're going to get back to the film. <laughs> Whereas lately, it's just been like, this is all going to be me. <laughs> there's also, it's most plot-heavy as well, because you have the pirates, as you say, and then you have the attack on the island... And then you have him trying to get financing for his films. Uh, so it's, I think maybe he should dip into that a bit more. Make something with, it's a bit more plot heavy. Best music as well, maybe. Oh, that was something I wanted to bring up as well, is that I, I read in an interview, it is the best music, Mark Mother's Bow, is that you say? I was hoping you were going to say it correctly, yeah. I don't know. Is that Mark, how I say it right? I guess Mark Mother's Bow, yeah. Yeah, uh, he did the music for it, and there's mm. a great track called Attack on Ping Island. Yeah, right. Which was used in like loads of adverts. But anyway... Here's the, I think this sums up Wes Anderson's problem perfectly. And he did it himself, which was he said that his music supervisor and him hoard songs for films and then they pick it out for when they think it's oh, the right. right moment. And that's the feeling that I've had with Fantastic Mr. Fox and with, with quite, quite a few, with basically all of his films, that he's written it just so he could have this bit of music in there. Yeah, right, right. Particularly Royal Tenenbaums at one point with... Um, yeah, they put a Rolling Stones record on and played two tracks, didn't they? Yeah. I, think I even heard him in an interview saying it was the first time that two back-to-back Rolling Stones album tracks had been played well, actually, you know, in a film. And like, well, probably the reason for that. Yeah. And, well, I love the music in World Tender Bombs, and I think it's oh. mostly used brilliantly. Like, the Nico track is spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not a Rolling Stones fan, then? I love the Rolling Stones. Oh, okay. It's just the fact that... Uh, you know, like, why would anyone play two album tracks in a row? Well, I'll, I'll get a little bit nerdy here. They're actually in the wrong order. He said that, I think he did. Oh, okay, that. yes. So I've, I've messed up the factoid there. Yeah, no. Well, no, it, is a, it becomes a factoid. The listeners will, will decipher it themselves. <laughs> what, what the stories. But um, I also found his films to be rather sexless. 
Like, right. if I was to... Well, like, asexual. Yeah, if I was to give you, like, a visual representation of it, it would be, like, the genitals on an action man. Like, there's... It's well, there is that, there's that bit in your favourite one, Moonrise Kingdom, where they're sort of... Uh, that's that's pushing what... Is, uh... that, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking, because that was his best one, because there is that, that sexual tension in there, and that sort of burgeoning love aspect to it, which kind of... It makes a nice friction in there for the viewer, because you're like, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, especially given the, their ages. But saying that, Dodging Unlimited, there's a bit where he sort of gets in the covers with a girl, and there is some quite... It's sort of it's not explicit visually, but yeah, what I they're saying is happening is is explicit. I think with this one, he's he's taking that hint of sex and pushed it into violence because it is his most violent. Mm. I find it uh, yeah slightly disconcerting the violence to be honest. Yeah, I got very little out of that Willem Dafoe character. Willem yeah. Dafoe plays like a heavy. Yeah, who goes around and there's a particularly brutal moment, isn't there? There's a few, but I mean, there's that. The, oh yeah, there's a. There's the stabbing scene as well in there, but there's the scene with Jeff Goldblum, which I won't. I don't want. Obviously, we don't want to spoil. No, there's a scene with Jeff Goldblum, and then there's a scene where someone opens a box and lifts out a decapitated head, and then it's not you. It's a a flash, and then it's gone. He holds it for like five mm. seconds, so you can see the detail of it, because he wants to show off the animation of the. Lift. Yeah. That's that was that was the main problem I've had with that film and him in general, basically, is. You know, let's see what I can do here. Like this, it's all superfluous. I feel. Yeah, I've, well, I was with it for a long time, and I was with it for none of it. No, I mean, as in, like, as in for his filmography. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. you meant Grand Budapest because no. the first minute I was totally like, I'm no, not. It took me 10, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, it so. was. Um, yeah, so I actually do have some listener questions, which I forgot to write down. I do have them in my, the back of my head, you and I've also him. and I've also got some notes down here that I was going to bring up. Uh, someone did want to ask about my fixation with sixteen millimeter, which I guess was it you who said no, that? it wasn't no. Okay, although I am dubious about your you saying that most of your favourite films were in sixteen. Well, did that, I would well, like to see a chart and some evidence. Okay, a Squawker style heat map of your favourite uh, <laughs> your favourite films. <laughs> 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 well. Okay, that was a slight exaggeration, probably. <laughs> but you don't get anything on Twitter without a bit of hyperbole. So, okay, I, I needed to put something out there. Okay, the fixation is that I like it because it has an aesthetic. When it's blown up onto the big screen, it's it doesn't quite fit the big screen, and so it has a quite grainy effect. And it's normally used with films that are really on the cheap, 400 blows, you know, the, the, that sort of era of filmmaking where they had to make films quickly with no money and it has an earthy feel to it and that's why I like it whereas 35mm it's very clean it's, it's, it's fit perfectly for the big screen and 70mm you have to shrink it down so the, so the image is even more clean so I like a slightly dirty image yeah I've, <laughs> I'm a big fan of, uh, of both yeah. <laughs> no, this is, no. That's a specifically nerdy <laughs> thing that I like. No, see, yeah, sixteen mils is uh, so, it's gorgeous, isn't it? It is. It's all gorgeous, really. Film, whereas digital's. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's. It's okay. the difference is not what it was, though, is it? I mean, it's not as bad. I mean, if you look now, most television is filmed on digital. Yeah, it's I basically pe- fine. I think we have to admit now that it's basically fine. I'll hold on to the film element. I mean, the show that I was going to bring up was Girls, that we're both. 
Yeah, I'm a fan of it. I'm, yeah, I love it, yeah. Um, I wanted to bring that up a little bit. How did you find this latest series of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you were, you were harsh on people, but uh, talk about it week by week. Because, you know, you're saying that they should, you're idiots and you should shut up until it's finished. I know. <laughs> that, I... <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Sometimes you're watching it. If you're not watching it all in one go, well, I've got to say something, haven't I? No, I did find the late. No, go. No, you can go. I agree. I think you made a uh, you made a good point though that it did by the end of the season it all came together and uh, it ended up being a good season. Yeah. But uh, through the season, I I felt a bit that they were they fell into that sitcom trap, say like the sort of Friends trap, where you're like, right, what we're going to do this season? What two characters have we not put together? (laughs) Let's put these two together. Are we going to put this character with this character? Uh, You know, because we haven't done it before. And particularly in the middle of the season, when you're thinking, what's the point of this? And then when you get to the end of the season, when the Shoshana character finds out about that relationship, mm. that scene where she's like, just take me back, I yeah, need yeah. you. It yeah, does... that was great, I thought. I mean, Shoshana, I think, was a, uh, like you said, was a bit of a, a wasted opportunity uh, because it was... God, do you, you remember know... everything I say? <laughs> now, she had a, she's a... Yeah, she's a strange character. You know, I don't really know what to, whether I like her or not, to be honest. I like, I like the actress a lot, but the actress is great. Yeah. Um, what's her name? Zoe. Zoe Social. Zoe Social Mamet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mamet's daughter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's this, you know, she breaks up, Ray breaks up with her at the start of the season. Is it the start of the season or the end of the last season? End of the last season. But there's that scene where they, she sees Ray and she's smoking and he, at the end of this interaction he just goes, cool cigarette. And like, <laughs> it's such a great line and he's so great. Like, such a great character. Yeah. He's a character I identify more with than like, anyone on television. And I think he's he, the actor's great as well. Mm. And but then she just disappears, uh, doesn't she, Shoshana? She and did, it, in that episode where they go to the beach, there's another one where you're like, oh well, we'll do an episode where they all go down the beach to a oh, okay. to stay there. Yes. But they, so they go there. That was the Friends. They did a double episode of Friends where yeah, we it was a triple episode. <laughs> it was a triple episode because it was the last two episodes of the series, and then it was the yeah. first episode of the next series. Well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. So the, yeah, the Friends, the Friends model. Yeah. Yeah, so they do, yeah, and then it ends with, uh, I don't, it's not really big spoilers, but it ends with them all falling out, and not falling out, but like making their feelings known. They're all yeah. shouting at each other saying, I, you know, I don't like you because well, of this. Because they're all, you know, they're not particularly nice, any of them. But, like you say, like, they just kind of then drop that. Yeah, she had Where a, were the consequences? She had a line, Shoshana had a great line mm. in, at the end of that thing where they're having an argument, and it's Marnie and Hannah just talking at each other, and they turn to her occasionally. And she sounded up great, that relationship, and actually how that character is treated on the show, where it's like, you talk to me, you talk around me like I'm a fucking cab driver. Yeah, that's a great line. And yeah. not, not only do, do those characters treat the character like that, the show does as well. Mm. And I think, I think they inadvertently self-diagnose the problem with that character. Yeah. It's... Well, maybe she deserves it. I mean, she brings it on herself. She, deserve, she probably deserves it from them. Maybe she does it, deserves it from the show. She is, she is an irritating way. character. But it seems like the next week we should have. It just. It was that was almost swept under the carpet. I felt. Uh, like. I have. Uh, I did find that a couple times with this uh, latest season where you would have episodes where something would happen. Um, you know, Ray and Mar- oh, no, uh, Hannah and Adam would have an argument, and then just kind of be forgotten. They, mm. they they do make these weird time jumps in the show yeah, where you're not quite yeah. sure. Okay, so how far along are they after that beach house thing? So if it's like a month after, you can start to think, okay, they're over it, they're going to be fine. But if it's like three days afterwards, and 
Yeah, right. This is, this is a bit of an odd way to yeah, act, around each, it, yeah. act around each other. Yeah, also, I felt with Hannah. See, I've only seen season one and two twice, right? Mm. Uh, sorry, once, sorry. I've only yeah. seen season one and two t- once. And season one, I watched the first couple of episodes, then didn't watch it for a few months and thought I'd better get back into this because I didn't particularly enjoy the first couple and then I got into it. So I may have misremembered, but she seemed lacking even more self-awareness this season. And there was more than one time where it's where you want to reach into the TV and sort of give someone a mm. slap. You know, to the point where, yes, it's, she's, it's funny. This is the reason why the character's funny and often why it's dramatic. But it went a bit too far at times, I thought. The way she was behaving at GQ. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was the most infuriating one because that would be a job that I would kill for. And, yeah, and, and well, I that's get that. it. I mean, I understand the point. You people have given up your writing careers uh, to do corporate work. But they kind of just, they went on and on about it. We, we got it. And yeah. you, you feel like she's not so much of an idiot that she wouldn't be able to rein it in. Well, the, the problem with that I had was those characters addressed that. Those mm. char- they said like, you know, I was a poet. You know, yeah, I had short stories published in the New Yorker. They acknowledged the fact that they've given up and they, they're fine with it. And it's just her, she has to deal with it. Uh, but with this season in particular, I think she was trying, almost at times, did trying to be deliberately wrong and mm. antagonistic for the sake of her writing, yeah. which was a hideously <laughs> a hideous thing to watch at times. This character just being, like, awful. I, I, yeah. and, and also, like, she does these things and you think, oh, she's doing that for her writing, like, she's dressing up and going to a bar. Yeah, I, did, I thought it was so funny, though, I must say. It was hilarious. Uh, I know what you mean. But the last thing that I would want to say on it, really, is that I think the show would be a stronger show if Hannah is not a good writer. And if and if you kind of... If she's getting... Commi- like, she's gone to some prestigious... You know, I've never heard of it. University of Iowa. Mm. Apparently, it's very mm. prestigious. And, you know, selling work and stuff. I think it's much stronger if she's not good. Yeah, I think that... that it's a little bit wish fulfilment, I find. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like Lena Dunham, who is the daughter of famous artists, had a short... Uh, feature film Tiny Furniture which went to uh, Sundance I think and it, it to South by Southwest it did really well it got distributed you get the feeling that this is a character trying to write about someone struggling who has never struggled in their entire life Yeah, right. and she can't write that character in a struggling way because she has to play that character I, d- I feel like she can't go there whereas uh, Adam Marnie whatever I feel like they can go there but yeah that is it is very much wish fulfilment I think at times I still love the show I think yeah me too and I think everyone listening should watch it and if you're not enjoying it after two or three episodes neither did I <laughs> but give it five episodes yeah if you still don't enjoy it after five fine then no, no. If, you, if you're not enjoying it after five watch Tiny Furniture her, her film and then go in and then keep, yes. keep going and see if you can pick up from there because it's not that hard a show to get into I don't I don't think no I don't know I wonder if the I don't know. I'd have to rewatch the first few episodes, but I just I didn't particularly find it funny. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. I've got into it's like a, a lot of things. You kind of I don't know. I got into it anyway. But now then I was just watching like I was watching one a day or whatever. Yeah. Uh, season two I thought was brilliant as well. Yeah, it was. It, it had these. You know, like Adam very, is a great character. It's very dark. Yeah, he. That was something I wanted to bring up as well. Is that do you find it disappointing that the best characters on the show are men? Yeah, I, I, I have to sort of rein myself in sometimes. I, I, you know, like on social media or whatever. Uh, you know, I want to go and say, I love Adam, he's so great. This, uh, this, character, this actor playing him is so brilliant. Yeah. And I'll say the same about Ray. 
And then, like, you know, I'm saying the same about people doing small roles who are men. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to do that because I do think the women are all good, but they've got they they they're not likable characters. And I don't agree with you that 99% of people in their twenties are not like uh, are selfish people. I thought that was very harsh. You know, <laughs> hi, hi, hyperbole to get yeah. listeners. That's the <laughs> but no, I've, I just it's the Adrian Durham way. You know. Yeah, that's it. Say something ignorant. Yeah. No, but I wasn't ignorant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay. I'll, no, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take back what I said. 99% of people in that environment, I find to be insufferable. Yeah, yeah. That, so they're, they're playing the insufferable roles, and the male characters have, are not. I mean, they're likable, they're, well, they're, they're, likeable and, uh, they're much more rationable, rationable, rational and reasonable. They're also more rounded, because they've actually had life experience. You know, Ray's in his 30s, Adam's a recovering alcoholic. Mm. They're infinitely more interesting. Yeah, and you've got for four spoiled girls, you know. Yeah. Well, f- yeah, I mean... At I least... mean, Jessa... Jess is, I find, the most interesting of the girls as well. Because she's a drug addict, or recovering drug addict. And she just keeps doing these selfish things. And you can see it actually hurts her to do it as well. Whereas with Hannah, when she does something hurtful, mean and ignorant, she doesn't suffer. She gets some accepted into a master's course yeah. at a prestigious university. So, that's, that's that was my... I mean, I love this series of it, this, this recent one. I think it's probably the best show of the last year on television. Uh, what you mean, like, between Mad Men seasons? Yeah, I mean, Mad Men wasn't really... Yeah, between, Ma- was... between seasons of Mad Men, that was the best show. I mean, even much better than Breaking Bad, for, for my money. Uh, I'll probably go with Breaking Bad and Archer, personally. But... Oh, yeah, Archer's a strong show, actually. Yeah. No, the problem I had with Breaking Bad, I've gone into it before, but those last two episodes were just... Whatever. Particularly that last episode, I thought was okay. Let's do everything the fans want to see, and yeah, right, right. I, I like it when someone like I don't know if you've seen The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. The last episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe when... we should save this for another time. But I'm not <laughs> mad about the last episode. Okay. The, un- the only reason I like it is like you think it's going to go one way, and then he's like, "Oh, okay." And then he's like, "No, it's not that." And I'm going to yeah, but I'm going to flip it. The you. issue I have is that it's not anything. It is something. Is it? What is it? That whole sequence, you know, where he's sat in that diner and she's parking the car and you're seeing all these mechanics and movements. He's registering it. That's his life for the rest of his but life. But what about the, the silence? The, there's like a big chunk of silence after in there. Then it goes to black. Yeah, it went, it went to black and then there was silence. Why? Um, I think that was uh, David Chase fucking with the... Yeah, exactly. The, I don't want that. Oh, I'm I, not saying you have to do everything that I want. Uh, oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? But I just think it no, was I, ambiguity. I, no, I don't just think. It, for... I don't think actually he was fucking with you. It was just him going. And now breathe. Like that's it. That's the yeah. end of it. I'm going to give. You, I'm not going to do the traditional thing of black straight into credits. It's black. Hold it. That's it. I think that was it. It's like when you finish a book, you don't immediately finish the book and then you go. Close your eyes for 30 seconds, don't you traditionally? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what I traditionally do. Yes. I mean, I normally read the last chapter of a book listening to Journey as well. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah. I think I've covered all my topics, to be honest. Did you have any more listener questions? Uh, I, did, I did, but I've forgotten them now. I should have written them. I was writing... You can I, log in now. 
Well, you don't have to. Well, well, I'll figure it out. Yeah, sometime. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to bring up or anything? I know you're no, a fan I'm of the just, show. I think I am. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. want to? I was going to say tell people to listen to it, but there's no point if they're already <laughs> forty minutes in. Yeah. I thought you were harsh on True Detective. I mean, I understand. Have you finished it. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, yeah, while it was on, and uh, I mean, I think what you I think it was entertaining television. I mean, I know it's not. Um, it was not groundbreaking. Mm. Say if we forget the fact that it ended quite badly. The show, yeah. yeah. So like, because you already disliked it after a few episodes. Like, I thought was, Matthew McConaughey was very. Uh, I thought he was he was great, and I thought the character. I know what you mean. It's like this character has got a bit of dark in his background. This character's a cheater. Well, I, I know. I know. No, no, I know so, they're cliches. It's, it's so. And it's, so it's so tempting. For, it's, it's so tempting for me to cut in because I'm used to just talking on my own. So no, you, you, go, you go. I know they're, they're, these are kind of uh, uh, tropes, you know, but. Sometimes something that's derivative can be entertaining, and I thought it was entertaining. Okay, that's fine. And I just felt, I did feel at the end, it was a bit of a letdown at the end. It's very tenuous links. That bit with a guy, oh, well, I won't say it, but the link to catching the killer, essentially. You know, the kind of uh, paint on the ears. Oh, yeah. And there's some quite ham, like there was a few bits in the last episode that were quite heavy handed. So it wasn't by any means perfect. And I think you, had, you were right about it, it was about enough plot, plot for a film. It wasn't like eight hours of plot, if you or however long it was. But you could, if it was two hours, you wouldn't have really lost anything. No, you wouldn't have lost anything. I, uh, but I just felt it was. I was at the end of it. I was like, oh, I enjoyed watching that. Okay, this is the thing. I've said this before. I was outside of the bubble, like when it was on, and there was this like fever pitch feel around it. I mean, probably when you finished watching an episode, you yeah, there was you, a lot, you, you went straight onto whatever Facebook Club, and have a chat. Yeah. AV Club, you read someone's and you read the comments and you think, oh, okay. Well, I, I try never to read the comments in AV Club personally. Oh no, I mean like uh, the no, the, but the yeah, person's, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't even tend to read that, but I know what you mean. There was a lot of there was you couldn't escape it. It was everywhere. Mm. But even even forgetting the hype, I just enjoyed it each week. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I watch television. Watching television and films are different thing. With film, you're you're stuck in there for a couple hours, and you're in this environment, and it's this cocoon, and you can't get out. Really, you can leave and go for a go. No, for, yeah, go but for you wouldn't know. What kind of person would do that? Well, a couple of people during the when I went to see the Raid Two today did that, uh, and it was immensely irritating because I was watching it and I see some. I'm more annoyed that they're missing the film. Yeah, I get that as well. I'm like, like oh. they always do it as well during like a really plot heavy like <laughs> sequence, and then. I mean, thankfully, they weren't sat next to me, but I could see them going, who's that? Who's that, matey? Who's that? That's your fault, man. Um, But what was I going to say? Oh, I'm not going to go over why I dislike True Detective again, but I will bring up another detail, which actually made me laugh a little bit, thinking about it, was when Rust... I remember Rust Cole. Yeah, his name is Rust Cole. That's all right, man. That's fine. It's it's hideous. (laughs) It's hideous. Um... He was brought up in Alaska. Like, I just thought that was hilarious, just thinking... Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, he said, blah, blah, blah. Oh, darkness in human heart, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the eternal darkness of winter in Alaska. What do you mean, Alaska? I was brought up in Alaska. It's like, oh, God. That annoyed you. It really did annoy me. Perhaps I just went in with the wrong mentality. Perhaps I went in thinking... No, I understand. Perhaps perhaps I went in thinking... Well, no, like you say, you've seen... Like, you've read enough good... 
Uh, I've read enough yeah. bad crime fiction. Yeah, and there were enough good enough good bad crime fiction. So it's like Steve always says, uh, who my co-host on South Island Hardcore, who's mm. just meters away from us. Uh, d- does he have a, a Twitter that he wants to? That he wants uh, to him? Probably not. At SLHC, <laughs> he, he mostly tweets from there. Okay, and you can hear him every week on South Island Hardcore. Okay, but like it's like when people say, "Oh, Heroes is good," and what's the other one? Uh, we were talking to someone about Misfits the other day. Right, it's not good, and <laughs> like. He's read, I mean, I don't like it because I just don't think it's particularly well done. But, he, you know, he's read all the uh, all the comics and all the ones that are, uh, you know, the kind of meta ones. That, you referen- know, it, that are referenced in those shows. Yeah, or that those things are just doing the same thing. as like, oh, they're superheroes, but they're not really superheroes. And he's like, yeah, well, I've read Days of Future Past, which I don't know what that means, but apparently... That, that's an X-Men thing. Right. Yeah. But so, I've, I've read The Runaways where it's kids finding out that their parents are superheroes and that they have superpowers. And if you've never seen that, like like what you were saying with True Detective, if you've never read a James Elroy, yeah. like maybe you don't get <laughs> as much out of it. But That's fine, I, but I can only speak for myself, which is an immensely disappointing show which I was told was going to change my point of view of narrative. And Yeah, that's, that's a bit strong. It's just good television. Well, you, you, I know you don't even agree with this. But I think it's just a good entertaining television well, this, show, this rather a, than being on par with. I, you know, people going, it's like, oh, it's up there with like The Sopranos. It's not, is it? <laughs> no. What well, What well, I'm actually excited. About, I'm actually excited for the next one because I know I'm not going to be doing anything major when that's happening. Uh, I was immensely busy during the time right, it was right. coming out. Um, you never know, man. If Leftfield Chat takes off, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be the host of the culture show. Yeah. <laughs> I am culture. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm more excited about the next one because it sounds more revolutionary. Because it's going to—I uh, think the creator said it's going to be about hard women, female yeah. cops, and the uh, secret cult in the American transportation system. That sounds much more left left field <laughs> than what this was which was down the middle yeah it was noir. pretty standard I, I, uh, I agree yeah is there anything else you wanted to bring up challenge no. me on no man I think that's a good uh, solid uh, 45 minutes uh, is that how long we've recorded yeah I've really oh okay good I, I don't know why my voice went up so high there. The if end. you want, if you would like me to come back on the show, let Joe know out the piss off. Well, you're coming back <laughs> on whether you like it or not. So, um, yeah, I mean, even this, even if this gets its standard sixty odd listeners, you can come back on any time. Oh, thanks, man. You're a very good podcaster. Uh, likewise. That's not true. Um, but I'm, I'm, we're always going around recommending left field chat. Are you? Yeah, I said to Steve the other day. He rec- he was on t- on our Twitter. Saying that uh, his favourite podcast, his favourite new podcast, was The Organist by the Believer magazine, oh, okay. which is is incredible. Is I it? mean, it's like it's you know there's been like six or seven segments in an hour long episode where they talk about like bits of history and culture and like mm. language and stuff, and they have people reading original works and stuff. The last one, the last episode of the first season was an, in a half an hour conversation between Lena Dunham and Judy Bloom for example. Word. But anyway, so Steve said that was his favourite new podcast. I said mine was Left Field Chat, so... Oh, did you put that on the South London... Like... I didn't know, I said it to him verbally. Oh, okay. <laughs> which, doesn't, oh, which doesn't help well, you. Well, no, no, it does. A, a, a one-to-one, you know... <laughs> yeah. yeah. If each one person says this is my favourite thing, exactly. that will we'll double within a week. So, um, yeah. Now, I found out with podcasts now that I've just stopped listening to radio and at all, and... I've actually almost stopped listening to albums as well. So. Yeah, I listen to much less music. Yeah, I'm, what are, what are the podcasts you're listening to? Um, my favourites are the Champs, great, which is great podcast. That's brilliant, isn't it? Crab Feast. 
Crab feast, yeah. I'm a, I'm a little bit behind on the crab feast. I, was, I wasn't sure where I was up to. Yeah. And then ended up getting about two months behind. But that's brilliant. Two guys just... Well, two guys plus a guest telling stories, and it's so funny. And they both seem like such warm guys. Yeah. Uh, more stories, uh, Jay Moore. I've got us that. I have as well. He gets, it's always his rock stars he gets on now for some reason. <laughs> but when it's him and another comedian... Well, it used not, to... Not Ralphie May. No, I had to turn that <laughs> off, and he, uh, he did not... Not interested in the fact that he uh, that racism is bad, <laughs> um, but no, those are the ones. That, I mean, I've got I've got like a year worth of the champs in front of me, so that's sort of taken. My, oh, are you? Uh, are you I'm, uh, I'm up to December 2012. Oh, wow. oh, so is that how you do it? You go from like I go, yeah. I just, well, no, I, with that, I dive in somewhere, and if it's good, then I start from number one generally. Really? Yeah, I can't. We can ignore the phone. Uh, um, okay. Uh, no, the ones, the one that I love at the moment is Brett Easton Ellis podcast. Oh, right. Someone mentioned that to me actually the other day. It's great. I can't remember who it was now. It's great. He's got. Uh, he had Ivan Reitman on last week. Uh, oh right. It was really, really good. He had he had a really awkward one with Carrie Brownstein and Fred Armisen from uh, Portlandia. Yeah, right. So awkward. Really? So what? He's like shaping himself as a Marin, Mark Marin type. No, he just no, he doesn't do interviews. He's, oh. it's, it's actually basically I kind of ripped him off. Where it was you like talk about Wes Anderson films. A little, he actually <laughs> talked about Wes Anderson with Fred Armisen, and they oh, got right. into it a little bit. Where whatever, but he talked about like culture and stuff. Like he has a guest on. They don't really plug. They just talk like about a topic and. That, that's a, that's oh, a great... right. So it's not like oh, where were you born? It's like we're going to talk about this topic. Yeah, he's like he brought. Um, He's had like the lead singer of Vampire Weekend on, and they just talk about social media and. Oh right! Oh, I'll get into that, man. That's a good one. I downloaded this Pete Holmes one. I haven't listened to it yet. I can't. Got... I can't do it with him. Well, I watched his TV show and didn't enjoy it, but it's got people on it I like. So we'll like, see, man. Like, yeah. mo- well, Moshe Kasher off of uh, the Champs, yes, yeah. obviously. Yeah, he, he talks. He has guests on, and he's supposed to interview him. And he just talks about himself quite a lot. Not in the way that yeah. Marin does, though. Where it's, although I've slightly gone off Marin as well. Yeah, well, I t- no, you know, with Marin, um, I mean, it depends on the guests a lot. Yeah, he's got like, Jason Roman on this week. Yeah, so, yeah, so I've, I've, I, maybe we might talk about that another time, but I dislike <laughs> Jason like, Reitman immen- immensely. You, you dislike him? Yeah, the film director. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go as far as to say he's maybe my least favourite mainstream film director, but we won't talk about it now. Maybe we'll just That's a great tease. He has got a new film out which bombed hideously. Oh great! Labor Day, which I, I do, <laughs> as, you, as you won't be able to tell, Jack's face just lit up. <laughs> but on the AV Club, they made um, quite an astute um, point about uh, Mark Maron. They just in their year roundup of the podcast, yeah. they said that in 2013, uh, Mark Maron's uh, intros became unskippable. Like, and when say unskippable, probably listenable is probably more yeah. accurate because some of them. He's just like, whatever, you know, trying I, to skip I, it through stamps.com adverts and whatever. No, I skipped through all of his interests. Yeah, but I've started to sort of listen to him a bit. Can't do it. It's like, oh, I, I don't care about the fact that you're struggling to come to terms with the fact you ate a bag of cookies the other day, man. It's yeah. Like, okay, whatever. I mean, I, I found it interesting when he was talking about his separating from his girlfriend. I thought that was mm, an That was, yeah. It was a tough listen. Oh, oh one question from the list. <laughs> I just totally remember. What was the worst cinematic experience you ever had? Uh, as, as in in the cinema and in the cinema I'll give you my example yeah great um, I went to see Antichrist with my girlfriend of two years it was the third time I'd seen it at the cinema <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I was saying to her oh, this film is so good I love it and she was like oh perhaps I'll go with you and I said 
oh, you probably won't like this movie. She's like, no, but you really like it. Perhaps I should go see it. And uh, the walk home afterwards was a very frosty. <laughs> it was a frosty walk. It wasn't. It was mainly the experience after. And actually, during the film, I could just feel her just like. I've never seen it, man. You haven't seen Antichrist. No, maybe you I'll probably watch it next you, time. you probably wouldn't, as a father, enjoy it. Uh, right, that's concerning. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like some of his films, but no, the worst experience I've had in a cinema. Um, well, Hulk was bad. Uh, you know the, the which one? one. Oh, I, the... I mean, it's a bad film, but there was a kid talking all the way through, and it was it just really got to me. Okay, but. No, the f- uh, well, on a similar vein to yours, the first date I ever went on with Lakeisha, my, my now wife, so we went on the, our first date to the She's cinema. also on, sometimes on the South London Park. Yeah, occasionally. She can Once a on. year, is it? Something like that? Well, she was, only on, she was on for the first time in a year, but in the first, the first year, she was on all the time. Yeah. Like, there's one episode, notoriously, episode 14, I think, where she comes home halfway through and she's like, where's my dinner? <laughs> like, I, I don't remember that. I'm going to have to listen to that. That's the one, it's one where we and Steve just talk about these uh, people on the internet being racist. Like, we'd be covering like an area a week or a theme or whatever. And then uh, one, all then one on, week. All on South London. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then we just started talking about this one South London Facebook group. And we talked about it for half an hour about how multiculturalism isn't bad. And she comes home and just goes, where's my dinner? <laughs> I'm just like, well, we're just doing this podcast. <laughs> but no, our first date was, uh, we went to cinema to see Elephant, the uh, Gus Van Zandt film. <sighs> and I, I didn't know what it was about. I just thought, I just saw, like, the poster looked quite cool. And I saw somewhere it got four stars. Yeah. I was like, why don't we go and see this? And it was just like... That was your first date? Or was yeah, it, your first it was our first date at the cinema. So I reckon we'd been on a, we went to, I fooled her into going to Pizza Hut with me on uh, Valentine's Day. What a romantic you are. Yeah. Pizza Hut and a film about a school shooting. So. <laughs> Still together there. Anyway. Um, nothing else. Oh, you should also plug your appearances on The Fighting Cock, which are notoriously brilliant. Oh, thanks, man. I'm going to be on the, um, on the 23rd of April, so that's very soon. Very good. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Everyone I'm... listens to that because Jack will be brilliant on it. Yeah, I hope so, man. I hope so. Don't send any sexual questions in because I get a bit uncomfortable, but... Oh, okay. So, uh, oh, that's too late now. It's gonna. Ha- I mean, that podcast is. We we can also stop recording if you want. I think. I, I think we've covered pretty much. Everything. Yeah, you're gonna say goodbye or something. Um. Oh yeah. No, not goodbye, but. Um. I, actually, how do you end your podcast? Normally, I try and make Steve laugh and then fade out on the laugh. Oh. <laughs> and that's our fade out there. <laughs> you. Yes, like I. Oh. Yeah. Yeah.